Welcome to the Every Day is Saturday podcast. The number one motivation show on the planet. No more Mondays for you. It's time to make every day Saturday. Boom! This is the podcast where we help you to accept who you are, not where you are. On the roller coaster of life, you know we only sit in the front seat champion. So make sure you are fastened in. Let's go. Tired of feeling run down all the time during the week? We can help you make every day feel like it's a Saturday. Let's go pack your bags. It's time to leave Averageville. Introducing the man who thinks abnormal stands for above normal. When you're on fire, people will travel from miles around to watch you burn, baby. We are fired up. The host of the Every Day is Saturday show, Sam Crowley. Hello, champion, and welcome back to the Everyday Saturday Podcast. Sam Crowley here, part two of five, reflecting back on the past 55 years of my life and hopefully helping you. I uh, hope you get a seed that lands on good soil today as we talk more and more about the entrepreneurial journey, success, things like that. And we're going to do this in a five-part series. So I hope you enjoyed yesterday's episode. And into today's, I want to talk about the people that we hang around, the choices that we make, uh, the really bad ones I've made. And I mean, I have made some extremely bad choices in my life, and I've made some pretty good ones, you know. And you can probably guess, you know, the good ones are the ones that we always look back on. Oh, that was a great decision. But boy, was that some of the dumbest stuff I ever did. Um, You know, I was a people pleaser. I had a really high disease to please. I was the class clown. I went to St. Bernard's grade school, grades one through eight. You know, wore the white shirt, the uh, blue clip-on tie, the blue pants. I was an altar boy at St. Bernard's Church. Um, I was, a, you know, I was a pretty good kid. My mom raised eight of us by herself, and my dad left when I was three months old. So, you know, she did, and I always say this, and I say this about every parent. You know, they did the best they could with what they had to work with, you know, and I really didn't even understand this as a kid. I didn't give my mom much slack. You know, my teenage years, did I go to parties, keg parties in the woods and drink and all? Yeah, I did all that stuff, but I never talked back to my mom, uh, never cursed in front of my mom. Uh, I just, I had this uh, respect thing that was ingrained in me at a very young age. Now, maybe it was from my mom who, you know, you always call them Mr. or Mrs. You know, in the grocery store, I was never allowed to call any, respect your elders. So I was never allowed to call anybody, you know, over the age of 21 by their first name. It was always Mr. or Mrs., you know, and I still did that. When I went back to Bradford, you know, visiting my mom, I'm 25 years old and I'm still seeing my parents, friends calling them Mr. or Mrs. And, you know, I just, I always had that respect that, I think it was really from my mom that told me that. But there's a, when you think about a single mom raising eight kids, she worked in a factory, and she was a nurse in that factory, Case Cutlery Knives, if you've heard of Case Cutlery Knives. Bradford, PA, actually, where I grew up, is the home of Zippo Lighters. That's where they're made. So a big Zippo plant worked first, second, third shift. I didn't, but they worked all 24-7, you know, pumping out those lighters. And, you know, my mom also, unfortunately, was uh, an alcoholic. So whenever she got home from work, pop open the bottle of whatever it was, whiskey, and man, she would just drink really until she, I think she just put herself to sleep. And it was normal to me. Um, again, I didn't give her any slack, didn't come at her, wasn't confrontational. Why are you drinking? Blah, blah, blah. There was a couple instances. I remember once when I was in eighth grade, I was in bed. It was about two in the morning and I heard her whispering, barely, but I don't even know how I heard this because we had this big barn of a house, you know. 
Um, and it was old. It's like a hundred year old house. And this was in the eighties, early eighties. And you know, I think the house, when she finally sold it in 1986 or 87 sold for $4,000, you know, so you can kind of give you an idea of how dilapidated it was. But anyway, I just heard Sam, Sam, I could barely hear above a whisper. And, you know, I go downstairs and my mom's laying on the floor and it's two in the morning. I'm 13 years old, something 14 years old, whatever it was. And this was in the winter of 1981 1981 i believe the winter of 1981 like maybe october november that year and what turns out she drank herself into a pretty much a coma tried to get up and broke her hip you know because she wasn't in the greatest of shape so i got to call 911 you know um never did that before in my life the fire station was about a mile away so literally as soon as i hung up the phone i hear the sirens they come they take my mom out on a stretcher and there I am. You know, I had an older brother, four years older than me, so it's me and him at the time. Now, my older siblings were all off to college or graduated working, not in town. None of them lived in town, so it was just me and my brother, and, you know, nobody home. It's kind of, you know, that's the way it was. It was, I guess, as you look back on it, very dysfunctional. But, again, I mean, after that, my mom joined AA, and we would have AA meetings in our living room. So in ninth grade, my brother graduated from high school. I went into ninth grade. And, you know, there would be a meeting full every Wednesday. There would be a room full of adults in our living room, and they would be having Alcoholics Anonymous meeting right there. And I'd be up watching TV, and it was funny because they would all go by their – when they would come to the door, I'd let them in. Like, hi, I'm Dave P., and I'm Juanita L., and I'm this and that. So when I'd see him at the grocery store, I'd like, oh, Mom, look, it's Dave P., I didn't even use his last name because in Alcoholics Anonymous, the last names, at least at that, I'm, I'm not familiar with it necessarily, but at that point in time, you weren't using last names, only the middle initial. So I'm telling you all of this because, you know, if it wasn't for my friends, the the guys that I hung out with all through high school, I don't even know where I'd be. Like, I've got, I, I had some just amazing friends. I was in sports, so I played baseball and basketball, and I was pretty good. And um, then when I wasn't playing sports, I was always with my friends who had two parents, you know, and they would have the meal at the table every night. They would invite me over for dinner. And a lot of those times my mom would work after she healed from breaking her hip. She went to work at the nursing pavilion and she was working 11 to 7, 11 at night till 7 in the morning. So, you know, when I was sleeping all through the night, I was the only one home. And then she worked 3 to 11. So when I came home the rest of my high school career, When I would come home from school at 3 o'clock, my mom was gone to work. And when I would go to bed, nobody was home. And then when I woke up in the morning, my mom was sleeping. And we barely, like two ships passing in the night, never really saw her much. And so hanging out with my friends was my saving grace. I mean, they were good guys, you know. And like I said, we go to parties. Who didn't go to the parties in the 80s, you know, especially in a small town? That's really all you did. Uh, But I never touched a hard drug. Still haven't touched a hard drug. Never had any interest in doing drugs in my life. Um, uh, because my friends didn't do drugs. So that's why with my own kids, I'm really, really uh, making sure that their friends are the kids that I would want them to hang around because let me, and you know this as a parent, right? Show me your four friends, I'll show you your future. Well, especially in high school, especially now in the digital age in high school, you know, with Snapchat and Instagram, it's like, holy cow. I didn't even know I wasn't invited to a party, you know, on a Friday night until Monday came and people were talking about the party. Now kids are on Snapchat. Oh my God, you didn't invite me to the party. I'm like, you shouldn't even know that. Just go live your life. It's Friday night. Have a good time. Go do something, you know? So now, you know, in my, uh, now that I'm older, friends, I'm very, 
particular about who I choose to allow into my inner circle, and it's not many. I mean, I know a lot of people, but not very many people know me. You know what I mean? Like, I know of a lot of people. I have a lot of acquaintances. I have a lot of friends, great people, but I am very protective about who I allow into my inner circle. And from an entrepreneurial perspective, I learned a big lesson with this as well. When I first got started, everybody said they could help me as long as I paid them, you know. I can help you build a website. I can help you do this. I can coach you and coding and all of these things. And I'll, you know, I'll do this for you. And now I'll connect you with this person. Come to my event. It's five grand and I'll put you in contact. I'm going to get you on a big stage, Sam. Send me 10 grand, you know. And I was doing it because I, I had just a very high level of, oh, yeah, I trust them. I guess I just trusted a lot of people. And, you know, it does look, this journey, this entrepreneurial journey, it does. It makes you make better choices, but I think from a neg if you want to call it a negative, you're just not as trusting of people. And you shouldn't be. I mean, the old trust and the verify. Trust and verify. You know, don't be sending anybody a credit card or a check or money until you verify that this is actually the individual that can help you get the results you want. You're gonna have to do the work. That's always the case. But are they even able to hold up their end of the bargain? And from an entrepreneurial perspective, I always go back to my childhood thinking of all the bad decisions I made because I had a disease to please. You know, I wanted to be everybody's buddy. I was the class clown. I wanted to make people laugh. You know, a lot of that biting, sarcastic wit that I, I got from my mom was also a defense mechanism because, you know, it wasn't a great childhood relative to, you know, we didn't live like the Kennedys. I'll give you an example. I was walking through school one time through the hallways in ninth grade and I had picked up some clothes. My mom and I went to the Salvation Army or Goodwill store, wherever you can just buy, you know, shirts and jeans for 50 cents. Well, I bought a shirt and I didn't realize it. On the back, it said firecracker. And it was those letters. Remember, I don't even know what they're called, but you would buy a kit of lettering and you'd use a press on an iron to iron the letters on. You could spell your name, your last name, your first name. Well, for some reason, this back of the shirt said firecracker. I'm like, hey, it's a nice shirt. Better than anything I got. Didn't have holes in it. I'm going to wear it to school. Wouldn't you know, I wore it to school, and the guy whose family gave it to the to the Salvation Army says, hey, Crowley, that's my shirt. I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? I just bought it. He goes, yeah, where'd you buy it? Salvation Army? Oh, my God. What a loser. That's my shirt. Dude, look at Sam. He's wearing my – and I, my face got beet red. I was just – I mean, you can imagine, ninth grade? Last thing you want is any attention negative drawn to you, let alone wearing some of somebody else's classmates' clothes in school. And that still sticks with me, man. I'm 55 years old, you know, Thursday. And I'm still remembering this like it happened literally an hour ago. But those are the types of things that stay with you. And they sting. And that sting goes away. But the memory of it doesn't. And that's why I always wanted to be successful. Not just because of that one instance. I can name 100 other times that that happened to me in a situation where – it's like, really, dude? You, you, that nice. I remember in sixth grade, you know, girls like, oh my God, look at that coat Crowley's got on. It was a, it's a crappy looking coat, man. It's the middle of winter. It had the, you know, the coat, uh, the, God, what do you call the inside of a coat? If you were to cut it with a knife, the inside of that, the foamy stuff, whatever it's called, was coming out. Well, that's all we could afford at the time, you know? So my wife and I always make sure my kids are in very nice clothes. You know, we're not shopping at Nordstrom every weekend. I'm just saying, we make sure. Here's the one thing we wanted to make sure as parents is that because my, my wife's childhood was no better than mine. Okay. And neither of us have a college degree. And what we always wanted to make sure is that our children 
had a way better life than we had. Like they don't ever have to worry about a meal, which we both had to have worry about in the past. They never have to worry about the clothes on their back, and they don't have to worry about a roof over their head leaking. Like they've got heat in the wintertime, and now we probably go overboard like most parents do. Not a lot, though. All my kids get a job at 15, and we don't buy anything for them outside of food, clothing, and shelter. They pay for their own thing. Like my one daughter's going to see Taylor Swift Friday night in Cincinnati. Guess what? Daddy-O don't pay for that ticket, okay? She pays for the ticket. She pays for her own car insurance. All my kids do. So there's a there's a line of responsibility as well as, hey, Mom and Dad got this, man. Of course we want to bless you guys. You're our kids, you know, because we didn't grow up like this. We didn't grow up in in this type of, you know, every family's dysfunctional to a certain extent, okay? Show me a family that's not, and I'll show you a family that's lying. But we didn't want them to experience what we did as kids. And I think one of the blessings of being an entrepreneur is one of them, especially as you can be with your kids a lot. Like the friends thing, you know who they're hanging out with. You know who the parents are. You know where they are, what's going on, because you're really tuned into it. If I was going to a job all day for 8 to 10 hours a day, I wouldn't be as plugged into it. I mean, I've been driving these kids to school since they were in preschool, you know, dropping them off, picking them up. My wife would drop off, pick up. So we're very involved. And I say this all the time on the podcast. The reason I launched this podcast and went to be an entrepreneur was to be a father. That was the driving force was to be a dad. You know, a lot of the times when we do things, it's because we didn't have it in younger years in our life. Well, there's a lot I didn't have. Let me tell you something. There's a lot I did have. I had a great community. I had great friends. Um, we had a great upbringing relative to the family, y'all getting together at the holiday. It was so much fun. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade any of that because you can't just take the, the good stuff. You got to take the good and the bad that came with that. And, you know, I said it on yesterday's podcast. Somebody had it worse and did it better. So, so somebody had it a lot worse than I did, and they did better with it. And that's I always keep that in my mind. And it's like I, I'm not the like I had a pretty good childhood, but those instances, like I told you about, with my mom falling asleep in a chair, getting up, breaking her hip, I got to call 911 when I'm 13 years old. Then she got hit by a car my senior year of high school because she was crossing the street in front of our home with groceries. Car comes around the corner knocks gives groceries all over our lawn mom's in the hospital cracked pelvis hospital bed has to be put up in our home for three months mom needs to learn to walk again two years later she has a stroke can't walk again three more months yeah i go on and on and on and on but through all of that i had a really great upbringing and it really formed the individual i am now where i really don't like excuses of my own i will not make excuses for if something goes wrong, it's my fault. I own it. At least I own 50% of a bad relationship, for example. It's not their fault, okay? What did I do? I own 50% of that, okay? So all of these things, you know, we talk about the entrepreneurial journey and people want to know, well, how'd you do it? What special software do you have? It ain't the software, man. It's software in your head. It's your brain. It's your experiences. It's all of that stuff that you use for the greater good, not looking back thinking, well, I didn't have this, so I can't, I can't be successful. No, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. Being born poor is not your fault. Dying poor is your fault. And that's another thing that I like to hold on to as well. It's all on me. I rely on my faith in God also to make sure that I'm dialed in and my compass is in the right direction. I mean, without God in my life, I wouldn't even know. That's another thing, man. That's probably another podcast because we're, we're, we're going long already today. And I want to talk about God throughout this five-part series because 
giving him all of the glory for any success that I have is where I want to make sure that people understand that is how I'm dialed in. Haven't always been that way. It's always been, oh, man, my ego. Aren't I doing great? Sam, you're awesome. That was my corporate days. God humbled me, took all my money away, took all the titles away, and it was awesome because it was my doing. It was my free will. It was my arrogance. It was my ego. But I, you would not be listening to this podcast today had that not all happened. So, wow. I love part two. Do you like part two? I like part two of the five-part series. I hope you're enjoying this message. I hope, again, the only goal, the main goal of this podcast, besides getting you on a Zoom call with me so we can launch your own million-dollar message, the main goal of this podcast is that a seed is planted in good soil in your heart so the harvest will come in for you as well, whatever that looks like for you, all right? So I'll see you back on the show tomorrow, part three of the series. When you're ready to book a call and launch your own million-dollar message, go to launchmymovement.com. I'll see you there. All right. Say it with me, gang. Have the best day ever. And that's a wrap. Another Everyday Saturday podcast in the books. Thanks so much for listening. Would you do your boy a favor? Would you get on iTunes or wherever you listen to the Everyday Saturday podcast and leave a rating for the show? It helps amazing people like you find the show faster. And that's what I'm looking for, amazing people like you. Hey, I'm always hanging out on the interwebs. You can check me out on Instagram, at Every Day is Saturday. Let me know you're listening to the show. Love, 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 love hearing from fans of the Everyday Saturday podcast. And one last thing, when you're ready to launch, get on my calendar, go to launchwithsam.com. You and I are going to work together to set rocket fuel to your dream. Are you ready? Let's do it. I'll see you on the next Every Day is Saturday podcast.